Thank you, praise team. That was wonderful today. God bless you. Let's all stand together and read a few verses. Then you get to sit down the rest of the time. I alone must stand. You notice on your bulletin, the funeral crasher. You ever realize that Jesus couldn't preach a good funeral? He always crashed it because he always raised the dead person. It's really true. And uh, he, he broke up some real good cry sessions. And he turned cry sessions into praise sessions. And my favorite, my pray, favorite uh, funeral that he crashed is John 11, the story of Lazarus. Let's look at it. And I want to talk today about um, letting the Lord into the tomb of your problem. And allowing the Lord to do a miracle. And what hinders him from getting into our stuff? and um, really doing something about it. Jesus, once more deeply moved, it says in John eleven thirty eight, came to the tomb where Lazarus was. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Read with me what Jesus said. Four words. Take away the stone. That's the message today. Take away the stone. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor. King James says, by this time he stinketh. For he has been there four days. So the man was good and dead. Really dead. Then Jesus said, I love this. Didn't I tell you that if you would believe, you would see? Notice, believing precedes seeing. If you would believe, you would see God's glory. So what they do? They say, well, based on that, they took away the stone. And they let Jesus to the problem. Everyone in here has something God wants to get to. He wants to move on it. He wants to answer you. He wants to show himself mighty. He wants to do a miracle in your life. He wants to answer a prayer. He wants to turn the impossibility into a possibility, but first, you're going to have to roll away the stone. Let's talk about that. Father, we thank you today for this word, for the word of God that sets us free. Speak to us, and I pray that there is a mighty resurrection in the lives of many people, and that the stone is rolled away so that you can get to it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. And... Um, let me talk to you about this a little bit today. Now, I'll bring you up to speed on, on this story. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were siblings. It was a trio that Jesus had gotten to know and love. They had had Jesus to their house. They had, they had hosted him. Uh, they were close to him. They were, they were uh, uh, three people who Jesus had actually developed relationship with. And so they had a real tight thing going on. They really did. Well, the Bible says that one day Jesus was in another town and Lazarus got sick. Now when Lazarus got sick, Mary and Martha thought, well, the, the answer is Jesus. So they sent a, a group of people to go find Jesus. They found him. 
And they said this, Lord, him whom you love is sick. Well, now, if I'm a good pastor, I jump up immediately and I go run into that person and I pray for them when they're sick. That's what's expected. And they thought, well, Jesus is just, he's on the way. But what happened almost scandalized their faith. Now, let me tell you what scandalized faith does. Scandalized faith is when God doesn't do something you thought he would do, you'd always been taught he would do, in the time you thought he would do it. He doesn't do it. And so you're faced with a conflict. Well, what I've always believed about him is now being tested by real life. Where is he? My brother is sick. His fever is getting worse. He's gone downhill. Where is the one who has said to him that he loved him? There was no Jesus. Their eyes are peeled on the horizon. There's no Jesus. They wait and wait and wait. He gets sicker and sicker and sicker, and then the unthinkable happens, and Lazarus dies. Their brother, and these these were one tight-knit family. The brother, their only brother, died. No Jesus. With scandalized faith, disappointed, more than disappointed, discouraged. More than discouraged, shocked, reeling. Where was he? Where is he? Well, they decide, no, Jesus, we're going to have to just go on and have a funeral. So they take the body of their brother Lazarus, they lay him in a tomb, they roll a great big stone over the tomb, and then, as if a day late and a dollar short, when the funeral is about to kick in and nobody is believing there's any more hope left, Jesus arrives on the scene. Well, you can only imagine what's going on in the mind of Mary and Martha. As a matter of fact, we know what's going on in their mind because both of them scold him in sort of a religious kind of way. Martha's the first one to get to him. And Martha says, you know, where were you? You're late. If only you had been here. Lord, I don't understand. If you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And there's all kinds of pain and pathos in her voice. Where are you, Lord? Where were you, Lord? I don't understand. I don't get it. It's not computing in my head. I thought you would run and heal him before it was too late. Well, right about then, here comes Mary. And Mary basically says the same thing. If only you'd been here. I don't get it. I don't understand. Now, we understand from the Bible account that Jesus really did care. Now remember who he was. Jesus was not just a first century hippie walking around saying good things that changed people's lives. Jesus was very God wrapped in flesh. I'm going to say that again. Jesus was very God wrapped in flesh. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. So here's God in flesh form standing there listening to them. We know that he cared because it says the shortest verse in the whole Bible, nine letters long, Jesus wept. Let me paraphrase that. God cried. God cried. God cared enough to cry. And you know the Bible tells us Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. And don't you think that if Jesus cried then, he's crying over people now? He's weeping over people now. 
Jesus is crying over people every single day. God weeps every day over the condition of our country. He weeps every day over the sinfulness and lostness and bondage people are in. He not only wept, but it says Jesus once more deeply moved came to the tomb. He was moved with their pain, moved by their pain, moved by their predicament. And if you're hurting today, can I tell you, Jesus is moved by your pain. He cares about what you're going through. If it's making you weep, it makes him weep. He's weeping, crying. He, he wants to move in our life. He cares about what you're experiencing. He cares about your pain. He cares about the people that have walked out on your life, about the things that you have experienced, the jobs you have lost, the heartbreaks you've experienced. He weeps, he cries, and he's deeply moved. And I'm glad to tell you today, he's fully able and powerful enough to do something about it. But now, he says to them, because he, he's walked up really basically on a, on a funeral about to happen. There's weepers, mourners. There's people crying, disappointed, disillusioned, discouraged. Nobody understands why he did not come and do what they've seen him do so many times. Heal the sick. Why didn't he come? I mean, he loved this one. Where was he? Where was Jesus? Have you ever asked that question? Where was Jesus when I went through that? Where's Jesus now as I'm going through this? Where's the Lord? Where is Jesus? Well, it says, Jesus said to them, take me to where you have laid him. So they walk up to the tomb. And standing in front of the tomb is a big stone. There is a stone in front of that tomb. And Jesus says to them, if I'm going to do something, you must first roll away the stone. Now, I want that to lodge in your mind. If I'm going to do something, you're going to first have to do something yourself. You're going to have to roll away the stone. Well, I was reading that this week and it hit me that that stone was really a metaphor, a picture, a symbol of things that stand between you and me and Jesus and our miracle all the time. That stone represents for us the obstacles that stand between our need and a breakthrough because you see the stone in front of the tomb was not the problem. It didn't stop Jesus at all. Well, you say, well, Pastor Jeff, what was the problem? The problem was their objections to moving it. Because as soon as he said, roll away the stone, instead of obeying him, they came up with reasons why they should not do it. And I began to think about what the reasons were that made them not want to roll away that stone. And it occurred to me that the very same reasons stand between us and God all the time that we do not see Jesus moving on our need because he wants to he's a miracle working God he's a miracle working Savior I said he's a prayer answering God he is a powerful Christ a powerful Messiah but there are usually three main objections to moving obstacles that stand in the Lord's path to our life. And you know, those three objections were, I believe, were in the sisters' minds when they had objections to moving the stone. Let me tell you what they are. First one's pride. The stone of pride. I don't want to admit to a problem. I don't want to admit to a problem. Second stone that stands in front of us and the Lord and Him getting into our stuff and healing shame. 
The stone of shame. I don't want others to see the problem. Pride, I don't want to admit to the problem. Shame, I don't want others to see the problem. Unbelief is the third one. And these sisters, as we're going to see in a minute, had unbelief. The unbelief is, I don't believe he can do anything about the problem. He's too late. God's late. If he had just gotten there sooner, but now he's late. I don't believe he can do anything about it. Why should I roll away the stone? My brother is dead. And people say, my marriage is dead. This habit has killed me. My finances are dead. My hope is dead. My future is dead. My body is dead. And so pride and shame and unbelief were the reasons in their head that they said, Lord, we've got some object objections to rolling away that stone. But Jesus said to them what he says to us today, because guess what? Most of us have something we need God to touch, something we need God to do. And we know that if God doesn't do it, it's just not going to get done. What did he say to them? Didn't I tell you? If you would just believe, you will see the glory of God. And believing entailed rolling away the stone. They had to roll away the stone to let him get to the problem. And so many people, I mean believers who are going to heaven, blood-washed children of God, have stuff in their life that Jesus never gets to because the stone of pride, the stone of shame, and the stone of unbelief stand in the way of God touching that situation and doing a miracle. Is anybody hearing me today? <clears throat> now watch this. You see this all through the New Testament. Their part was to do what they could do, roll away the stone. There's not a place in the New Testament you can find. No miracle Jesus ever did that he didn't require the receiver of the miracle to do something. To the man with the withered hand, he said, I want you to hold out your hand. To sisters Mary and Martha, he said, roll away the stone. Over and over again, when Jesus was going to do something, he required you and I to take a step of faith, to trigger our faith, so that he could step in and do a miracle. God is moved by faith. He's not moved by self-pity. He's moved by faith. He's not moved by temper tantrums. He's moved by faith. He's not moved by feeling sorry for us. He's moved by faith. <clears throat> so Jesus requires us to do what we can so that he can do what we can't. So the first one, the obstacle of pride. I know that pride was in these sisters' minds. Because they didn't want to move the stone away based on a prideful statement. Lord, by this time, he stinks. I don't want the odor of my family problem reaching out into the knowledge of other people. Do you know that pride is the culprit that keeps more people lost than any single thing? Do you know that there are all kinds of people that ought to be in church today that aren't here because of pride? And you know what pride is? Pride says, I can do it myself. I don't need God. Jesus once compared two men, one humble, the other infected with pride. The humble man prayed this way. He said, be merciful to me, Lord, a sinner. And Jesus said he wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven. But then the second man prayed this way. I thank you that I'm not like that guy. 
You've met that kind of person, haven't you? Full of pride. Kathy and I were at a gathering a while back, about 40 people. And man, there was this one guy there, and he's not here, and he's not anywhere near here, so I don't have to worry about it. If he hears it on radio, I'm not giving his name. But here's the deal. He was just bragging, bragging, bragging about everything he'd done. Bragging about his talent. Bragging about his brilliant ideas. Bragging about what he'd done, what he was going to do. He made himself the centerpiece of the whole night. By the time Kathy and I left, we were gagging. And we said, that guy is trouble. And you know what? Later on, he was trouble. You know why? Because he was filled with pride. No, pride is the only disease known to man that makes everyone sick but the one that's got it. Mm. (laughs) Now, let me be clear about something because I want to give a balance to this. There's not a thing wrong in the world with having pride about how you do your job. You ought to have pride in your work. You ought to care enough about your work, have a pride about your work, that you do an excellent job, that you have a standard of excellence. That's the way you ought to be. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 2, verse 24, a man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God, the writer says. So what does God give us? We ought to have satisfaction in doing a good job with what we do. If you can't do a good job where you are, leave where you are, where you can go find a place where you can do a good job. Because when you do a good job, you give glory to God. There's nothing wrong with having pride in your appearance. That is, dressing nicely, taking care of yourself, doing a good job. Nothing wrong with that. That's not the kind of pride the Bible's talking about. The wrong kind of pride is the exaltation of self and the refusal to give glory to God. The wrong kind of pride refuses to give glory to God. You see, everything you've got today, God gave you. Whatever your talent is, God gave it to you. Whatever job you have, God gave it to you. Whatever your abilities are, God gave those to you. Paul said, why are you bragging about what you have received? You didn't come up with it. God gave it to you. If you can sing, God gave it to you. If you're good in business, God gave it to you. Whatever it is you can do, God gave it. But pride says, I will not give glory to God. Just before losing his mind, King Nebuchadnezzar uttered these fateful words. Listen to what he said. Is not this, he was the king of Babylon. Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? My, my, I, I, my, my, I, I. The words of the prideful person. It says in the Bible, the words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. And it says that day he was driven from men, lost his mind, grew fingernails like bird claws, and he drew the original, grew the the original dreadlocks and was eating grass like cattle. It says until the day came that he looked up and gave the glory to God. And his sanity returned. The Bible warns, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. 
but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Even your faith God gave you. Amen. Let's give God praise for what He has done. I personally believe it, it is a watermark, a defining moment, a landmark in any life who finally looks up and lifts their hands and worships God. Because then you're doing what you were wired and born to do. You were not wired to worship yourself. You were wired to worship God. And it's healing. It's invigorating. I do it all the time. I love it. I sing. I sing in the car. I sing at home. I worship God because when I do, His presence gets all over me. And I love it. Pride was the first transgression to stain God's perfect universe. Satan became lifted up with pride and said, I will be like God. Pride destroyed one-third of heaven's angels who are locked up right now waiting for judgment who follow Lucifer. Of the seven things listed in Proverbs 6 that God hates, the very first one is a haughty or a proud look. The Bible warns us that as clouds gather before rain, pride gathers in the heart that is about to sin. We are encouraged, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. And how do you do that? Well, I believe you humble yourself by just telling the truth. Tell the truth about you. I can't do it alone. I need you, God. Here's the truth. I may be smart. I may have some talent. But there are some things that are never going to get done, God, if you don't do them. You're, you're the vine, I'm the branch. I can't bear fruit without you. I've got to have you. I need you. I want you. I'm seeking you. Lord, I'm humbling myself in front of you and saying, this problem is bigger, it's stronger, and it's going to win the day without your help. But I know that through Him I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The reprobate civilization described in Romans 1 are described as those who, although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. Watch this. A people that will not glorify Him, recognize Him, acknowledge Him, thank Him, your thinking will be plunged into futility and your heart will be covered with darkness. America needs to look up and say, we have sin. Oh, God, forgive us. Forgive us. And we give you praise and we give you the honor and the glory. Do your name. America will begin to be healed immediately. But the stone of pride standing in front of that tomb that says, I'm too proud to say I need God. It stops the one who can do something about it from entering into your problem. So I encourage you today, if the stone of pride is over your life, sir, and you've been a self-made man, or lady, you're a self-made woman, you think, and you don't want to call out on God, you're too proud, your pride is robbing you, it may send you to hell, it'll keep you from God's best, let your pride down. Admit you need Him. Jesus said, didn't I tell you if you would roll away the stone of pride, you would see the glory of God on your life? 
And the, the second obstacle, and I've seen this all the time, is the stone of shame. The obstacle of shame. Now, shame manifests itself most often in the presence of moral failure. The woman caught in the act of adultery was ashamed when she was cast in Jesus' presence. Shame is a paralyzer. Do you know that there are people today who are not in church because here's what they wake up with. They wake up and they say this. Who am I to go to church? Look what I've done. Look where I've gone. Look at the things that are in my past. There it is, the shame, and what made you ashamed in the tomb. And there's a stone over it, and it stinketh in there. Because you're ashamed. Shame brings you to the place where you won't look anybody in the eye. Unworthiness drapes itself over you. A lot of teenagers go through this. People who have been abused experience this. They are ashamed, and they don't want to bring their shame. They don't want anybody to see or to know about what they've done. And so that stone of shame is in front of the tomb. And here's Jesus. He's on the other side. He's wanting to get in because if he can just get past that stone of shame where you admit the shame and you're not afraid to come clean with it and say, I will humble myself and I'm going to go to God and I'm going to let him deal with this shame because I want the Lord to come into this tomb and speak to this that has a stench in my life and I want to be raised from the dead and I want out of this tomb and I want my life to count for God. Mary was frankly embarrassed. She didn't want the odor of the death in her family to reach others. Here's what she was thinking. Let's just bury it. Let's just bury it. It's too late now. It's past the point of rescue. And people do that all the time. Let's just bury this marriage. Let's just bury ourselves in this habit. Let's just bury this because we really don't want anybody to see it. And so here's what happens, figuratively speaking. Some people choose to live a lie. They're living a lie. They maintain an image of success and happiness rather than letting others in on some of the things that stink in their lives. Church, let me tell you something. Life's too short, Jesus is too close, and the call is too hot for us to be buried in shame and hide the truth. We need to come out and get free and get healed and go on down the road and do something for God. The stone of shame is going to have to be rolled away from the tomb in some of your lives if a miracle is going to take place. Listen to what James said. He said in the Message Bible, make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. Do you hear that? Sometimes you've got to tell somebody. You've got to go to somebody and say, here's what is going on in my life and I've got shame about it, and I need to be healed. He says the way to be whole and healed, confess your sins to each other, pray for each other. Well, Pastor Jeff, if I do that, I know they're going to go out and tell. Well, then you can go shoot them. No, come tell me. I'll go. I, we, we've got a God squad. 
and we'll take care of it. No. See, you've got to be honest with each other. There comes a time, hey, the facade's got to come down. Listen, listen to the Amplified Bible. Confess to one another, therefore, your faults, your slips, your false steps, your offenses, your sins. And pray for one another that you may be healed and restored to a spiritual tone of mind and heart that leaves nothing unturned. Offenses, sins, false steps, slips. Aren't I just supposed to take that to God? Yes, but there comes a time when it begins to overwhelm you. And if you can't settle it vertically, you need to take it horizontal. And go to somebody and say, pray with me. I'm struggling with this habit. I'm struggling with this thing that is causing shame in my life. And this shame is ruining my testimony, ruining my boldness, ruining my ability to live for God because I'm always feeling shame. God doesn't want you to live that way. One other version says, <clears throat> So admit to one another that you have sinned. Pray for one another so that you might be healed. Let me give you a little secret about shame. Shame is a paralyzer. It's a neutralizer of your spiritual potential. But did you know Jesus took your shame? You say, well, how did he do that, Pastor Jeff? He was hung on a cross, naked. They cast lots for his clothes. He only had a one-piece garment. When they nailed your Savior to the cross, they meant to humiliate him. They meant to degrade him. They meant to mock him. And so they put him on that cross, hoisted him up in front of the whole world, naked, bleeding, disfigured. The Bible says he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Let me take some poetic license and change that verse a little bit. He made him who knew no shame to be shamed for us, that we might become unashamed. See, when shame's been lifted off of you, you hold your head high. You've got boldness. You've got power. You wear a smile on your face, a skip in your step, a gleam in your eye, because that baggage of shame has been taken off of you. You know you're forgiven. You know it's clear, and God has set you free. He wants you free of shame. One more obstacle and I'm going to close. Here it is, the obstacle of unbelief. You see, when I read about these two sisters, I'm aware that both of them had unbelief. They both had unbelief. We'll say, well, Pastor Jeff, what do you mean? Well, Martha had someday faith. Listen to this. Jesus said to her, hey, Martha, your brother's going to rise again. I'm here. And here's what she said. I know he will he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. What was she saying? Someday faith. I believe, Lord, someday you're going to do something about this. And don't we do that too? Well, someday I'll quit smoking. Someday I'll get off this alcohol. Someday I'll lay these drugs down. But in the meantime, we pray like Augustine prayed. Lord, give me purity, just not now.
someday faith. And then Mary, when she approached him, she had yesterday faith. She said, Lord, if you had been here, I believe you could have done it two days ago. You could have done it three days ago. Lord, if you'd shown up sooner in my life, this could have been averted, but you're late, and I don't believe you can do anything about it. So sis, sis has someday faith. I've got yesterday faith, and both were a level of unbelief because Jesus looked at them and here's what he said, and I like this, and I'm going to close with this, and if this doesn't bless you, you're not saved. He said in the Message Bible, you don't have to wait for the end. I am right now. Oh, that's powerful stuff. Oh, yeah, he's coming in the future. And I know he could have done something back there, but I'm not back there. And I'm not out there yet. I'm here. I'm in my now. I need something now. And so Jesus said, I want you to get who it is you're looking at, who it is you believe in, who it is you say you've been following all this time. Let me tell you who I really am. I'm the one who's going to call millions out of the grave someday. I don't just resurrect. I am the resurrection now. Now. Everybody say now. Say, well, Pastor Jeff, I was going to wait for my faith to get a little bit stronger. No, believe now. Well, someday I'll get off of this habit. No, how about now? Well, I'm leaving God for a breakthrough in my marriage someday, some way. No, how about now? Well, when I get my life cleaned up a little bit better, then I'll believe. No, 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 no. He says, you're not going to have to wait for the end. I am right now in your now. The Bible says, now faith is. Is there a stone of pride, stone of shame, stone of unbelief? He wants to do something before you get home. Before you get home. Can you stand up with me today? Now, I've had all three in front of my life before. Jesus wanting to get into my life and resurrect and bring life and do a miracle. I've had the stone of pride there. It took me six months to get my arms up to worship God. I thought real men wouldn't do that. We stood there like wooden Indians while the women did this. But you know what it really was? It was pride. But boy, when I finally got my arms up, it was like I'd raised an antenna. It was like I'd put up a lightning rod. And there were times of shame where I had to say, if I don't roll away this stone and let him deal with the shame and let him in, I'll never be back.
So I did. And there has certainly been unbelief. Certainly. I don't think he can do this. But then I heard him say, I'm the resurrection now. Right now. In your life. So if this was for you today, would you raise your hand and just say, I needed this today. Bow with me a moment, would you? Where are you at, sir? Where are you at, ma'am? Maybe you're in here right now and have never been saved. Pride has kept you from coming to him for fear that your great reputation would be ruined. Can I tell you, you don't have the reputation you think you do anyway. Let God in. Let him into your problem. Let him into your stuff. Let him into the tomb. If you have shame, He became shamed for you so that you could be delivered of shame. If you really don't think He can do anything about your situation, I assure you He can. Just say with me, Lord Jesus. Matter of fact, I want to pray for you. I want to lay hands on everyone who comes down that needs a breakthrough. I'm not going to spend long on you, but I want to lay hands on you. He did this in the first service, and God moved in a way people were weeping. And we want to do it now. He wants to break through on your life. If it's a stone of pride or shame or unbelief, but you know that He wants into that tomb, and you're willing to move the stone, I want you to come down right now. Make your way down right now. And I'm going to begin at one end, and I'm going to go to the other. As we worship, it's not going to take long, but it's going to be powerful. And I'm going to believe God to move on your life in a powerful way. In the mighty name of Jesus, let's worship. Now I need ushers to help them spread out. Ushers, please. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Glorified, be glorified in.